what drives me isn't the personal satisfaction. That's just the bonus. You know, when I feel like it was a really good thing that I went there that day, but even if I had a really tough time because people were crabby, fighting, having a bad day, whatever, it was still important that I was there that day. Most people, when they find out you're a hospice volunteer, they say, oh my gosh, how could you do that? And that's that's never been my experience. My experience has always been showing up, like how grateful I am and how what an honor it is. There's on-ramps and test drives that someone can do in the space of volunteering where you find your wheelhouse that it's not the mindset that I have to go do something, but the mindset that I get to go do something. I need to remember and I need to remind people doing something is better than nothing. Hi, I'm Brian Heckman, and you're entering a world gone wild. Oh. <laughs> Hi, I'm Susan Boos. Hi, I'm Laura Grablitz. Hi, I'm Betsy Zyko. And you're entering a, a world, world gone, gone good. good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and here we are yet again, shining and finding the light in the darkness to prove there is still good out there and lots of it. This is World Gone Good, and this is exactly what we celebrate every day, people, making good happen each and every day. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. We appreciate you taking time out of your day to spend with us now. If you enjoy the good we got going on, yes, please share us with your friends on your social media accounts. Email, text, over coffee, whatever, and wherever you friend it up. Take us with you. Let's spread some good together, shall we? Today is one of those shows I love doing because it is a good topic as opposed to a good individual or organization, which makes it sounds like I don't like good people and good organizations. I like good people and organizations. I just kind of like doing these too. Episodes like these allow me to connect with a bunch of others and gain some new perspective. We've done topic-based good shows before. You can check them out in the previous episode guide wherever you pod best, like where you're potting with us right now. We've talked the good of theater, which turned into a two-parter. There was that much good to share, the good of writing and sharing your story, even the good of love. Today, we've gathered a group to talk the good of volunteering. I've been a volunteer myself for more years than I can count. From the penny wars we did back in college for the United Way to take a chance with the Stars Casino Night for the American Cancer Society to my most recent voluntary gig, which is I, um, well, I take my three dogs, Hazel, Mason, and Haley over to a senior memory clinic here in town. They wag it up with the good folks residing over there. And honestly, I think it's my favorite volunteering gig I've ever had. My guests volunteer their good in all kinds of great ways. Who knows, maybe one or all of their stories will inspire you to do some volunteering 
of your own. Now, we're here today to talk about uh, volunteering, so I'm going to go wide. What is good about being a volunteer to you in your mind? What's good about it? Oh, my gosh. I have been trying to answer this question to myself for about eight years now since I started really volunteering a lot. And I think that it's knowing that if I don't show up that day, something important to somebody else doesn't get done. There's nothing not good about volunteering. We're, we're intertwined on this earth together, all of existence. So if not helping each other out, what's the point? It makes me value my time, give my time, the time that I spend there a value because it's important to somebody else. Me making the effort to go out was really good for somebody else and therefore good for me. Our service to others is the rent that we pay for our space on the earth. What is good? Ah, gosh, everything is good about volunteering. We are, we, I shouldn't say we, I'll speak for myself. I am so fortunate in so many ways that I just, volunteering to me, I don't think I do enough of it. Like I should be doing more because helping others, seeing the look on someone's face when you do the smallest thing to you and it's the biggest thing to them, that to me just warms my heart. And I want to help more and it makes me feel good inside. No, I don't know if that's bad or good, but I don't know. If you can stop and help others and if you can give your time, it just makes the world a better place. There's nothing not good about volunteering. I have found that I get far more back from volunteering, specifically serving other human beings, other people. Um, Specific to that would be in my own community, my own neighborhood, uh, my own city. I get far much more back than what I actually give to other people. It sounds kind of selfish, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, the older I get, it's, I, I've kind of, I kind of see things. That's kind of the lens I see through is, is I get exponentially more back out of than what I give. Yeah. And that's the thing is I think so many people worry like, well, I can't write a check right now. I can't give money. And I think time is such an important thing that you should be able to give to other humans. I work a lot of hours. And I will be honest, and you know, I will donate money. If there's anything with a pet involved. Oh, I know this. <laughs> I'm the first one to line up. and um, But there are other organizations where my heart breaks. Um, I think we'll probably get into it, but um, I work a lot of hours. And it doesn't necessarily free up time to go do the things that I wish I could do. And so there have been occasions where through work, Um, I've been able to volunteer my time on company time. We had a whole division dedicated to giving back. And we did, oh my gosh, backpack stuffing, bicycle building. I remember we did this entire, we spent like hours stuffing gift bags so that every child at a school in downtown Los Angeles had a gift. And I will never forget the face of this little boy who got a Pokemon ball, the tiniest little Pokemon ball. He lit up as if I had given him a hundred million dollars and all he wanted was that because he wasn't going to get anything else. 
So where you can find the time, I will try to find the time. Our volunteer service begins with some good stuff from my workmate and pal, Susan Boos. Well, before we can even start our conversation, we have to tell everybody how we met. And I want you to tell people how you remember us meeting. And I'm going to tell people how I remember us meeting. Oh, no. How did we meet? Do you remember? I do. Thank you very much, Steve. I do remember (laughs) we were in Arizona. I don't remember the year. I want to say maybe 2012. Around there. Yeah. Um, We were at the Phoenician, if I'm not mistaken, at an FPEC conference, a promotion conference for work. Um, And I immediately fell in love with you. I thought you were so much fun. You were so much light. Um, I may have been overserved, but I do still remember one of the highlights and that was meeting you. And I remember I told you about my boyfriend at the time and you commented that he looked like my son. (laughs) Okay. No. Okay. This is why I wanted you to tell your side. So we were sitting in the back of this conference and you were like, you were so fun. And we were with Catherine and we were all kind of jabbing at each other, just being silly. And you got a couple (laughs) good jabs in at me. And then we took like a little break from jabbing at each other and you had your phone and you put your phone down (laughs) and Susan has this gorgeous picture of her and her boyfriend. And I look down at your phone and I just go, oh my God. I go, that guy, he's so handsome. And you go, yeah. I go, how old's your son? (laughs) And you looked at me and got the look on your face and Catherine laughed so hard and you go, that's my boyfriend. And I go, yeah, I know. And you go, oh my God, I love you. And I hate you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is exactly right. That you, you have nailed it and you have solidified that in my memory now forever. I, oh gosh, he's a little bit younger than me. Whatever. He's not, he's not young enough to be your son. No, but oh my gosh, when you said that, I thought you were so, you said it so deadpan and so serious. And I thought, oh my God, I can't go out with this guy anymore. And look at this. How many years later we're married? (laughs) Married, married and good. Now you, there's an organization called Foster Love. Yes. And that's close to your heart. And that's something you volunteer with. Yeah. So, so I don't have children, right? I come from a family of four. I'm blessed to have a nuclear family, two parents, four sisters, grew up in a home with a roof and food and activities and all of that. And the thought of not having that and growing up through your formidable years or any years for that matter, breaks my heart. And so one of those days that I'm talking about, right, where my work allows me to do um, charity work, we were at a sales conference and my group is amazing. We all know how fortunate we are, right? Working in entertainment, we know how blessed, hashtag blessed we are. And so whenever we have these offsite conferences, we bring in a charity or an organization and we spend about three to four hours as an entire team. And there's about 70 of us doing whatever that charity is. And this past year, we had the group Foster Love come in. Now, again, coming from that nuclear family, really didn't know too much about foster care. And oh my word, when when we got this presentation, my heart just broke. Some of the statistics that they were talking about, 
just, I can't imagine being separated from my sibling. I can't imagine having a birthday when you're nine and nobody cares. I can't imagine like falling behind in school because the foster home I live in, maybe they just aren't giving me the help that I need or worse going from home to home and not even having a bag a piece of luggage and anything to put my clothes in or my belongings, just all of this just kind of broke my heart. And we spent the afternoon of all things making skateboards. I literally made four skateboards. I feel sorry for whoever might be skating on them. (laughs) This organization, it's all about helping children through the system with love And it's just the most amazing organization. They're based in Orange County, California. They actually have folks that have come out of the foster care system that have been helped by this organization that come back and now volunteer. I mean, it's just, it's such a great, great organization. And I don't do enough with them. And I think I may have mentioned this to you before, um, but I want to. And it's one of those things that I will, because it's just, I can't imagine. I can't. And I would never want to. And so whatever I can do for them, I would be happy to go back and do. But I think it's a key thing what you're saying is you do do enough because you did something. I need people like you, Steve, in my life because (laughs) it's never enough for me. Laura Grablitz and I grew up in the same little town. This is her big good story. My company was going through a merger and I had the opportunity to take a a severance package that would give me some time away from work. I was feeling really burned out. And I started thinking about what am I going to do with this time on my hand? I'm used to working 40, 50 hours a week. There was this place about a half a mile down the road from me that we literally, I passed it 10,000 times (laughs) since we lived in this area. I had no idea what it was. And I was just talking to friends and they're like, hey, you know about this place called Campbell Village, Kimberton Hills. And I'm like, well, I live right near there. What is it? And it turns out that it is a community. It's a land-based community that um, maintains this community with adults um, with special needs. And the community is built to support one another and give people the best life that they can have. Most of these adults have developmental uh, disabilities and they live with people without developmental disabilities and they're given opportunities to work in craft workshops, to work on the farm, to work in the dairy, to work in the orchards. Um, It's a really, the more I've learned about it, uh, the more I appreciate it and, and like having it in my really hyper local community. I started out in the pottery. It was basically a big pottery room with some kilns, but most of the time we sat around a table and the, we, we call the, the adults that live there, the villagers, um, would sit around the table with some volunteers and coworkers who were um, more permanent members of the community and just work with clay and do, you know, based on the ability of the person that you worked with, we might make a pinch pot or a coil pot or just kind of roll out the clay and use cookie cutters and lace and, you know, things like that to texture it and make ornaments. And all of these things that were made there went into the shop and that help helps go, they go into the shop. This is continuing. Um, 
and they're sold to the community. And this helps bring in some extra money, uh, you know, that eases their fundraising. I love that you get to do something you love to do and it benefits everybody. Yeah. So I've worked in the pottery. I worked in the weavery. That was really fun. I had never weaved before. Um, And primarily uh, the last few years before the pandemic, I worked in the mosaic workshop and that was my favorite craft that, uh, that I've done with the village. I felt really like, not only was I helping people, but it was a good creative outlet for me. Is that glass and, and yeah, yeah. tiles, tiles, found objects, all kinds of crazy things. Yeah. That's so great. Can I tell you about my first day volunteering there? Please. So I showed up, I tried to be early and I wasn't. <laughs> and by the time I got there, everything was already hectic. And the, um, workshop um, leader, his name is Samuel, um, came running up to me and gave me a hug. And he's like, you're Laura, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, I'm so glad you're here. Will you work with Ben today? And I'm like, I'll do whatever you need. So he sat me down with this uh, kind of middle-aged man with um, Down syndrome. And It was like the most fun and relaxation I had had in years, just sitting there working with this man with, you know, very low intelligence, but a very high personal connection with people. And he kept telling me he loved me. (laughs) That was a little bonus. Um, And just had a wonderful day, Uh, you know, two and a half, three hours that I was there and we cleaned up and Ben gave me a hug and Samuel gave me a hug and I left and I got in my car and I just burst out in tears. (laughs) Like I had found this new passion in my life. I love it. I love it because we get caught in our own circles sometimes. And then sometimes if we can just get reminded back to simple things that give us pleasure, that give us joy, that spark joy in other people. I know I sound like Marie Kondo from whatever Netflix show she's on, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that's so great. It's so good for your soul and for your heart because it's it's as good for you as it is for those other people. What drives me isn't the personal satisfaction. That's just the bonus. You know, when I feel like it was a really good thing that I went there that day. But even if I had a really tough time because people were crabby, fighting, having a bad day, whatever... It was still important that I was there that day. Brian Heckman may live in Tampa, Florida, but he discovered his passion for volunteering on the other side of the world, and then he brought it back home. I've never really naturally been somebody that would want to give my time to volunteer and do community service. So I would say probably maybe eight or nine years ago, A good friend of mine at a church that I was going to at the time. Uh, He's also a business guy, very similar to me. He went on this mission trip to Haiti with our, with our small little church. And, uh, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, people that do that, like, that's good for you. Uh, Those people probably, you know, they probably make their own clothes and churn their own butter or something. So I'd give them money, but, uh, but I, I, that's not for me. And uh, I say that and it sounds really ignorant, but that's just where I was. 
And so this, this buddy of mine came back and then a mutual friend of ours, his wife went and she was kind of like one of those mission trip kind of people, you know? And they both said like, Hey man, you got to go. I went there, uh, and it was, uh, just a wild experience. We went to like, I think four or five different little orphanages. And I'd say like the last three hours of, of our trip there, I connected with one of these little kids and I uh, just a powerful, like just really, really powerful connection. I don't know how to ex- explain it, but you know, he started off very hardened and whatever. And then like in the last 30 minutes, he started speaking English and I'm like, you know, buddy, like we're playing soccer with you. And uh, like, I'm running around, like I got like three left feet trying to play soccer with these kids. And um, then he starts speaking English to me and it was just like, uh, just a powerful connection. So I came back and what it created in me is this uh, almost like a mission of the, there's, there's kids, there's, um, there's poverty, there's need right in my community that I don't, I don't need to, you know, spend all that money and go really far away to help people right here in my, in my own community, in my own city. My wife and I in 2020 started fostering kids, you know, that is laced with, um, poverty and generational welfare and generational drugs and domestic violence, abuse, you name it. But the kids are the, they're the victim of it. And then uh, good friends of mine, very good friends of mine, uh, they live right in our community here in Tampa. They started this organization in 2020 called New Life Warehouse. They take people that are coming out of sex trafficking, foster care, homelessness, uh, military veterans. You know, I have a huge passion for that because my, my father is a Vietnam vet. He has a silver star, a bronze star, a purple heart. New Life Warehouse helps refugee families. They, uh, they help people come out of substance abuse. They basically take donated goods that you would go to Goodwill, you know, anything from, they say, the, the couch to the can opener. And then they just match up these people that get some sort of housing but have nothing. And then twice a month, they take volunteers like me, my wife, my kids, and uh, we meet up at their this little warehouse centralized in Tampa. And uh, in about two or three hours, uh, you get about 100, 200 people that show up, volunteers. And then we go deliver basically a house, you know, a house full of goods, couches, beds, everything to people that are getting a chance at starting over, coming out of these programs. So that's really the catalyst for me was they're, they're my friends and they're, uh, they're my buddies. We have purpose. So that's a, just become a huge, like a word and a mantra for me is, is, is purpose. Have your children changed because of what you're teaching them about volunteering? I think that for, for the kids, it's more so the consistency of realizing it's not that mom and dad are going to do this once and check a box and, you know, put it on social media to make themselves feel good. And so, you know, if people are still listening to this, um, I might've come across as like uh, different when I say up front that I get more out than I put in. It's, that's not why I do these things, but it is a, a pretty wild fruit and, and reward from being obedient, right. To just, to certain people. So I think that over the long haul, you know, my 12 year old still complains that he has to get off of Fortnite in order to go and, and spend two hours serving. But, but being a parent and being the responsible person that it's kind of my duty and my wife's duty as, as their parent to put them in environments that 
um, exposes new things to them and gives them and gives their spirit the opportunity to love on other people. It's our job. And I think that there's just, there's not a lot of, um, I don't know, advice, training, teaching for parents right now that could kind of make it simple um, for like, hey, come to this little organization. So so 100% it resonates with them. Uh, you know, my my little guy, especially my 12-year-old, it's been, it's just been a while to see how he encourages people, you know, when he's in these, these homes of pretty extreme poverty most of the time and how he engages with people and befriends them, you know, like in foster care. I mean, he's amazing with uh, making these, these kids that come into our home. They're like his little buddy. They're like his little brother. And it's amazing. So, uh, but it doesn't come from just doing something once or twice. It comes from, hey guys, this is like who we are. What are you going to do with your privilege? That's really the question. And that's, that's the question for all of us. Betsy Zyko has been a volunteer for over 30 years. This is how she shares the good. What do you feel about your time having value and supplying that value of time to someone else in need of that time? I'm not sure I understand it that way. I've never framed it as 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 my time being valuable. In 1978, there was an interview in Time magazine with Muhammad Ali, and he really says it best. Our service to others is the rent that we pay for our space on the earth. That's something I grew up with, not by words, but by seeing the action of I grew up with a dad who you know, I would show up to an event that I, at dinner and suddenly my dad was being honored because he helped this whole community in the section of Cleveland find affordable housing and navigate finances to allow them to have um, more resources in their lives. And I'm like, oh, my dad did that. So I've got a model of like, you just volunteer. You don't think about it as in terms of the value of your time. So is it, is it fair to not answer that question? You just directly? did. You answered it perfectly. That was a perfect answer. Because I think that, I mean, in other framing of the question is there's words and there's actions. And I think that, that you know, it is great when we can write a check. That's phenomenal. You and I know that. We do theater. Fuck yeah. We were just talking about this a few minutes ago. Give us all the checks. <laughs> Help us do it. But then it's also as great as the people who say, I don't have a check, but I can come out and run your box office. I can come out and be your door person. I can come help you make costumes or put up a set. So action, you just spoke to that. Yeah, and I do. It's it's like, you know, what community are you a part of and how are you going to serve that community? Um, and you can look at that in a in a, like you said, you can pick a, a thing like theater. In my case, it wasn't even a question of of whether I volunteer. It just when I got older and it, I was, you know, on my own, uh, the first 
thing I would do in life. I got myself set up. My first career was broadcast news down in Alabama, CBS affiliate. And I was looking for, okay, now what am I going to do to volunteer? And looking through the newspaper, I saw a listing for what they then used to call the spouse abuse network. It's now domestic violence. And they needed volunteers to be on call, which meant for two weeks, you get, you got trained in, 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 significantly in in this area. But once you're ready and on duty, you have a beeper for two weeks because you could get a call at three in the morning with a situation. And you'd have to either become a phone counselor or go show up at the hospital because somebody had been beaten up or or somebody who was uh, an abuser would call uh, with a lot of regret or uh, concerns about themselves. And you were 24 hours on call for two weeks. That was my very first volunteer uh, commitment as an adult. I did that for two years. Um, I had a natural affinity for counseling. Uh, never went to therapy as a kid, but uh, I guess just uh, growing up with um, a sister who uh, had a very serious illness led me to be an extremely empathetic person. Also, uh, there was some sexual trauma in my childhood. So, And when you have uh, those kinds of traumas as a young person, you develop a natural empathy. So that that fit right into when I did domestic violence volunteering. And then when I moved to Ohio, uh, I was working for NPR and then pursuing acting professionally, um, you know, managing those two careers. I was like, what am I going to do now? Looked in the paper and I saw hospice program at the local hospital needed volunteers. And I thought, well, I, the one thing I did know about myself since I was very, very young maybe because my sister was sick for so many years, is I I learned that my relationship to death was very different than most people around me. It's not something that scared me. Um, it's just something that I knew was going to happen. And um, so I thought, oh, my, maybe, I'd, maybe I'll be good at hospice. Turns out, I took to it so naturally where most people um, still to this day, and I've been doing hospice now for 30 years, uh, spending in um, end of life experiences with both the person at their end of life and their families and and their loved ones. Uh, what I can say is, most people when they find out you're a hospice volunteer, they say, "Oh my gosh, how could you do that?" And that's that's never been my experience. My experience has always been showing up like how grateful I am and how what an honor it is. Because when you're at your end of life, I mean. Talk about weeding things out. <laughs> that's that's the thing that happens in end of life. You're like, I don't have time for this BS, you know. And and you start weeding people out of your life, weeding things out that really don't matter. You you learn that, and so um, to be in that space is uh, is an honor. We talked about this with a few other guests, and you just hit on it. Showing up, what does that mean to you? When you are a volunteer, you are making a commitment. So whatever that is. I'm sorting food at the food bank downtown. Um, If that shipment of apples comes in and I don't show up, I'm hurting a lot of people. So that's what it means to show up. You, You say you'll be somewhere and you get yourself there. And whatever's going on in your life, like if I, if I have a caregiver who needs some relief which is which is mostly what I do as a volunteer. They're expecting me at their home at two o'clock so that they can go 
do whatever they need to do that they can't do because they're taking care of their loved one at home. They're counting on me. So you, you show up. I'm there for two hours, maybe. Whatever they need. Um, sometimes I'll show up and, you know, if somebody's taking care of their loved one at end of life, it's their first experience at it. It's my, I couldn't even count how many experiences I've had, but there's, there's techniques and showing up sometimes means, oh, you know, when you're, when you're changing your mother's diapers, if you tilt her this way, it'll be a lot more comfortable for her and she won't moan. And suddenly you just taught something, somebody that enhances their own relationship and intimacy and bonding with their loved one. Or uh, end of life also feeding, um, consuming, you know, food uh, becomes more liquid the, the closer you are to end of life. And um, one time I was helping, it was, it was eating time and and the caregiver was struggling a little bit. And I said, well, have you tried a straw? Because there was a lot of uh, dripping. And, and they were like, no, I, I didn't think of that. And so we put a straw in and, cert- and yes, sure enough, her loved one drank right up. No problem. So sometimes you're passing along tips like that just to help things get more comfortable for your loved one. And then sometimes you're just showing up with a sense of humor. So one of the things that most people don't realize is that because end of life gets a lot of lofty, ooh, we're going to be spiritual and, you know, pray. And, and it really, most people would be surprised to know that there's very little of that, actually. Um, sometimes it's just uh, the loved one is still alive. <laughs> they want to laugh, you know, if, if they're not at the wee-wee end of life, you know, the last two weeks, there's not much talking, but like, um, those six months or, or months leading up, you know, you're, you're still alive and you still have a sense of humor and you still have stories to tell. And a lot of times it's that. Or, you know, I remember showing up to George once. George was a, a man who ended up in a, in a nursing home that did not have an end of care, uh, wing, but he had grown, the staff had grown so fond of him that they said, okay, we'll, we'll keep you. <laughs> And uh, so I remember showing up and like, you know, just even giving them some tips uh, on things to do. And and George did not want me there. He's just like, I don't need you. And and he he was very very grumpy. And I just I said, I know you don't need me here, but I'm here, and um um I'll I'll just sit here in the corner. And and eventually he started he started to say, Well, why are you here? I was like, well, Because because you're here, and. Uh, and then and he was looking out the window at the snow, and he's like, I haven't touched snow in a long time. So the next thing I did was walk outside, and I made a little tiny snowman out of a couple of snowballs. I put it in a little plastic container I asked one of the nurses for, and I brought it in. I said, hey, George, look. And I, he touched snow, and he just looked at me, and he, he's like, you're crazy. You're, you're, you're just crazy. And and sometimes the, you, you start the relationship like that, and Right after that, it was right into, you know, he got to just be himself. And I found out quickly that, you know, he didn't want to read the Bible. He wanted to read dirty stories, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know and, and you, you show up and you be with somebody as who they are and what they need. We close every show with the same two questions. First up, who inspires you? 
more and more in my life, the people that inspire me are brilliant people who give back to their communities, people who kind of take a risk, start something, they see a need, and they just jump right in and start something new. Um, I also volunteer at a nearby food um, pantry, and we provide food for five uh, immigrant families. I believe they're from Honduras. And this, this um, organization was started by like a 22-year-old woman out of college who heard about this family that didn't have anything. And now she houses people, you know, raises money, finds a way to feed them, helps them get jobs, helps them get clothes. And it's amazing. I, I don't know where people, how that people have that in them to just pull that all together and put everything else aside. And it really impresses me. Tim Tebow inspires me. How Tim Tebow has never wavered from his purpose and from his mission in spite of what everybody says about him or doesn't say about him. Um, never, ever, ever wavered. And, you know, there's people that you just kind of wait for them to kind of fall off or get knocked off the pedestal. And uh, I joke with everybody. He's like the greatest NFL football quarterback of all time. And people kind of mock me for that. Right. Um, but he does have a pretty awesome winning record. Right. When they actually let him play, he actually, he just won. It wasn't pretty, but he won. But I think just watching him then pursue baseball, it's like, yeah, he's, he's going to try baseball. And then now just seeing he's still around the game, but now the impact that he's making for, for kids and for uh, people that don't have a voice, he's still using his influence just over and over and over and been rewarded with a beautiful life. Um, so I just say yeah, he really inspires me. Um, and, and it's ironic because like um, – He's in this space of, of helping people in the sex trafficking space as well. So I had this like this dream. I've, I've reached out to him a time or two on Twitter about like, yo, Tim, I would love for you to come here and uh, just be like a celebrity name for us with what we're doing in Tampa with with like we created this thing, big purpose team. And uh, and that's just this like group of people and business owners that come together and do what I'm talking about in our own local communities. And I'm like, Oh, Tim, man, you should come and like come to a dinner or something. People would show up, man. Cause of you, you know, he inspires me. My husband. Oh, and my dad. Isn't that funny? The two men in my life. My husband inspires me because he's got a job that not a lot of people like, but he does it every day. And he does it because he wants to do good. Anybody that wants to do good is okay in my book. And my dad, my dad inspires me because, man, he had five daughters. <laughs> no sons. I mean, and, any, and he's like 87 right now and he still plays golf. Come on. You can't beat that. He's amazing. He had, he has a work ethic that is just beyond. And I like to think that I get that from him. I get my mom's skin tone, but I get my dad's work ethic. So they inspire me and you. You, Steve, every time I see a little text from you about someone who needs something, every little bit counts. You inspire me. 
And the final question isn't even an actual question. It's a statement to finish, and it goes like this. Tell me something good. The very first sip of coffee in the morning. Learning that there are people in this world who make things happen is a good thing. There's the pain of discipline, and there is the pain of regret. And it's really up to us. We get to choose which pain we want, but there's going to be a pain one way or the other. Your choice. Something good. Life. Something good. Life is great. Life is good. And I'm. we are all so blessed. And thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you asking. And I enjoyed every minute of this. Except for maybe the part about my husband looking like a my son. <laughs> That's great. Thank you, Laura and Susan and Betsy and Brian for sharing your good. Now it is your turn, good listener. Where are you going to go volunteer your own good? Next time on World Gone Good. Stop trying to suppress your imagination. Because for the longest time, I would always tear myself down. I was like, oh, I'm not good enough. I can't do that. Look at how amazing they are. And... Within the past two years, I finally stopped saying I can't or I won't into I'm going to try and I will. Who's ready to take the plunge? We are diving in deep literally with, ready for this, a merman. I'll give you a minute to catch your breath. Tee-hee. Merman Andrew is a professional mer person. He dons a tail and hits the water to spread his good. And I got to tell you, this guy is having a swimmingly good time simply because he followed his passion and embraced what makes him happy. You will too when you hear our super fun conversation on our next all new episode. Until then, be good. <laughs>